Hello again, everybody. Welcome to the Mainland Podcast. It's episode number 85. 85 seems like a lot. Dave Rowe is with me. I'm Michael Citro. I'm the managing editor and founder of TheMainland.com, and Dave is one of our writers, of course. You've, you've probably read his stuff. I'm sure you have. Uh, anyway, Dave, how you doing? Um, I'm pretty good. It feels a little bit like 1885 here at my house. Uh, our power's out, so we're doing this by candlelight here. So uh, That's right. very, very special, very, very special night. We're like the post office. We don't let anything stand in our way. We don't let uh, we don't let uh, power outages or um, unresponsive guests or any of that stuff <laughs> hold us Nothing. back. So uh, yeah, so we are doing this a little bit under duress, but. You know, you could hardly tell because we're 110% professional here at the Mainland Podcast. Uh, Dave, the uh, the Lions, our beloved club from Orlando City, uh, just not a great week for them. Uh, they went on the road looking to come home with a couple of points at least, you know, and, and, and have a decent trip. And, uh, you know, they went up to Toronto in the midweek and actually played quite well, but uh, unfortunately fell behind 2-0 before they were able to really get a, a handle on the game. And... Um, Toronto didn't have a ton of chances other than the two that went in from Giovinco, uh, but uh, they were able to hold on for a 2-1 victory despite a, a plethora of uh, possession for uh, Orlando City. And then, uh, of course, on the weekend, uh, a very tired team after having been on the road all week, traveling about 3,000 miles or so, going a time zone over to the West and all of that stuff. And, you know, of course, sleeping in strange hotel rooms all week. Uh, it certainly looked like a very legless team on uh, Saturday night in Houston uh, as the Dynamo were shockingly able to, to put a 4 nothing beat down on what had been a very good defensive Orlando City club. So um, just your overall thoughts on a, on a road trip. Of course, this early in the season doesn't, uh, you know, getting no points on this two-game swing is not uh, critical, but it certainly is uh, a, a big damper to all the early season momentum. Well, it's it's disappointing to be certain. You know, uh, especially uh, going into into that road trip. You know, sitting up at the top of the MLS and the Eastern Conference, everybody's feeling really good. But of course, you know, this is sports. There are ups and downs. Um, the Toronto game, I honestly thought. It, we probably should have won that game. I mean, Laren had two chances. Now, granted, one of them was an incredible save. Uh, but the other one should have certainly, you know, he, he should have gotten a, a foot on it to put it in. There were just there were two chances that he had that, it, it, as you're watching the game, you're going, how, how, how is that not a goal? So, <laughs> um, you know, if, this, if either one of those goes in, you know, then we're looking at at least one point, And, uh, for, you know, if they both go in, we steal three. Um, we knew going into Toronto and you and I actually both predicted two one, um, which is what happened. Um, you know, Toronto between, um, you know, obviously Jane Vinko who had their goals, uh, he is always a threat. Um, and, uh, you know, even though Josie didn't score, you know, he's still a presence, uh, up front and that, you know, has to be taken into account. Plus, um, you know, the other thing is, is no Will Johnson during that game. So, um, some of the leadership, uh, in the midfield was, was absent, um, and I think that that probably uh, hurt a little bit. But th that game for me was, uh, you know, okay, it was a it was a tough loss, but you know they played well. Um, then you go to Houston. Now I was probably the most fortunate uh, Orlando City fan in that I was at a wedding, so I didn't have to watch that, <laughs> at least not live. 
Um, obviously, I went back and, and, and watched the highlights, um, uh, or for our purposes, the lowlights. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it was very obvious that um, not only was the team tired, but, you know, you get um, AHA back, and it's his first game back. So, I mean, he's, he's not going to be up, you know, up to form. Um, you have, you know, Kaka, okay. He's been back for, you know, game or two, but you know, once again, he's still finding his legs again. Um, it's, you know, Spectre was out. There was, there was a lot of, of things, um, that contributed to that back line, not being what we've seen, including being tired. Um, and then, you know, we all love, you know, Joe Bendick, but he is a human being, um, not a superhuman being, although we sometimes think that maybe he is. Um, so, you know, things are going to, things are going to get passed. It was one of those games where Houston was on fire. We were tired as all get out and it's, you, you, you hate to see it, but at the same time, it's, it's one of those ones that, uh, as a fan, you just kind of put out of your mind. And then I assume that's the players, you know, they're professionals. They'll, you know, they'll take from it what they need to and, you know, use it going forward. Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty, pretty shocking. But, you know, if you looked at that, that Houston game, it's just very easy to see there was a lack of sharpness and a lack of of energy. And, and that's not that's not Orlando City. Orlando City is a very energetic team, very uh, good tempo. They're a very fit team. But you could tell that the that the that the fatigue had worn on them from being away from home all week and and from doing all the traveling. But uh, you know, getting back to that Toronto game, you know, you, you mentioned Will Johnson was sick, couldn't make the game. Uh, they held Antonio Notorino out of the lineup as well for a uh, uh, a calf injury issue and just wanted to make sure that that you know his calf has been bothering him all season and they just wanted to give him a, a rest, uh, precautionary and. You know, if you had told me that before going into Toronto without Will Johnson, without Antonio Notorino, I'd have said I would have I would have adjusted my uh, prediction to probably three one. Um, right. But uh, you know, to to the Lions, you know, credit they they went into BMO Field and it's a very difficult place to get points. Um, they haven't lost a game there uh, this year, and and Orlando City went in there, and I think in in some respects, you know, they. They, they didn't have that sharpness in the first half in the final third until uh, the gold right before the half that Kaká scored. But uh, I think by far the much better team in the second half, I think it was Tommy Redding that called it their best half of the season uh, in terms of the way they played. Obviously, they would have liked to have gotten some goals. But they did give Kyle Lahren two golden opportunities, both off of Rivas's foot, um, and he didn't put either one in. Now, you, you mentioned the save Bono made. Uh, I don't know that he knew a whole lot about it. He just threw the arm out sideways and it bounced up and hit it. Uh, but <laughs> but certainly there was an opportunity there. I think Kyle was so shocked that it didn't go in that it didn't even occur to him to hustle after it and, and poke it home. Uh, right. He just kind of collapsed into the net after that. And, and uh, Bono you know, got up and, and got up and, and swept it off the line with his arm. I mean, there was really an opportunity there uh, if Kyle had been sharp and uh, pounced on that opportunity. And the second one landed right on his foot. And for whatever reason, he didn't hit it right or he wanted to take an extra touch, whatever the problem was. Uh, that's usually one that, that Kyle puts in. But you, you, you see these games from Kyle every now and then, and you think, you know, he's not, he's still developing. He's still not the finished product. But I've seen this from world-class strikers. Uh, I've seen games where Zlatan has done this and, and had inexplicable, sure. you know, touches you know on sitters i've seen it from 
you know, uh, guys like Berbatov. I've seen it from Wayne Rooney. I've seen it from a lot of guys. And um, it happens. So, um, you know, it's, it's just one of those things. You just chalk it up to, uh, you know, one of those nights and, and you move on. And, and you know, you just kind of take out of that that you didn't get the result, but you did play well. And then you go on to Houston and, you know, I, I think all along – that was a game that I looked at and said, that one's going to be very difficult. In fact, I wondered, too, if, if maybe Jason Christ would 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 play a very, uh, you know, reserve-minded uh, 11 to start that Toronto game and maybe hold some stuff back uh, for Houston because I thought that Houston, the Houston game I thought was the more winnable of the two, even though it was the second game of the week, right. uh, all, all of it being away from home. But... I thought maybe if you hold your, your, you know, your A team out for that, maybe you don't have the tired legs. Maybe you get something, something going. And, and and there were opportunities in that game as well. But by the time there were opportunities, they were already behind and, and they were playing catch up. It's very, very difficult in the league to win on the road. Houston hasn't lost at home. There's right. another team that hasn't lost at home. And, um, you know, we've, we've talked about on the site, if you go to the mainland.com and you can, you can read their stories about, <laughs> You know, people say, well, it's just an excuse being tired. It's just an excuse to travel. But it's it's oh, maybe it is an excuse, but it's it's also reality. It's just the reality that it's very difficult to win on the road in this league. And people say, well, these European teams, they go out and they they play in all these different competitions and they play twice a week. Hey, if you play for a London club, you know, there's a good portion of your road games you don't even leave town for. Right. And, and, and even if you do, if you go to Nottingham, <laughs> it's two hours away. I mean, it's. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. It's less, it's less distance than is between you and I right now, and we're in the yeah. same state. <laughs> there, there's no major European leagues uh, where the country is bigger than Texas, right? I mean, <laughs> exactly. I mean, and a lot of them are, aren't even as big as Georgia. So yeah. Yeah. So it, you know, it, it it really does put it in perspective. You're not just you're not just getting on a plane and saying, well, it's just a couple hours on the plane. It's it's it it taxes your bodies in way in your, you know, your body in ways that you don't even realize. I mean, it's, there's, um, you know, different little subtle things like, you know, the, the climate changes, the, the elevation changes, the humidity changes, the hell, the barometric pressure changes, everything changes. And it's when, you're, your bed, when you're, it's tr- not your food, it's, you know, yeah. And when you, and, and I have, you know, I, I, I haven't talked to anybody of the club. I plan to do that this week, but I, I would, I would wager that either, you know, maybe from the flight or maybe from something he ate, but that's probably how Will Johnson missed the game on Wednesday. Yeah. So, um, you know, all these little things can happen, and it's 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 not it's not just Orlando City. You look at uh, the New York Red Bulls are a good, pretty good soccer team, right? Would you agree? I would think so. Yeah. One win, five losses on the road. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, so come like on. And, and, yeah. Yeah, and some of those. You know, some of those trips have been pretty close, you know, because, you know, <laughs> uh, New York has a lot of teams that are right in their general vicinity. So even even in this league where with, with the teams that are going not as far as, say, an Orlando has to go or, say, a Vancouver has to go, you know, even teams like New York Red Bulls, which are which is a very good team, um, you know, even they are not good on the road. So it's just one of those things. It's you, you just shrug it off and you go, OK. We'll steal some points down the road on the, you know, away from home at some point. Just right. got to keep keep maintaining that home aura of, of invincibility. And uh, that's going to be tough to do against Sporting Kansas City. But we'll try to do that uh, this weekend. We'll get get more into that a little bit later. So 
Um, I guess we'll start out with your man of the match for uh, the Toronto match on Wednesday. Um, man of the match for uh, Toronto. Um, I'm I'm going to go with Spectre just for you know the the leadership. Um, you know, I, I would have loved to have given it to, to Kyle, but, you know, two missed chances like that, that, that makes it tough. So, yeah, there's no way Kyle was going to get my man <laughs> the match after that. I, I mean, mean, you know, yeah, connected I, on I, one of them, you know, maybe, but, <laughs> but I, I don't take, I don't take anything from that in terms of, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't take it personally that he had a bad game and I don't think he sucks because he had a bad game and I don't think he was loafing. These are things that I've actually read online this week. He's not, he's not very good. He's not, he's overrated. He's, um, you know, he's lazy. Kyle Laren is none of those things. Kyle Laren is a very good soccer player that had a bad night and it happens everywhere. Like I said, I, I, I've seen, I've seen Messi miss, miss sitters before. Oh, sure. I mean, well, um, that's where the, you know, of course, fan comes from fanatic and, you know, occasionally, and, and we're very happy that the, that our fans are passionate about the club. But sometimes that passion can lead to ill-advised uh, comments regarding, you know, players and situations. And you quadruple that when all of a sudden they're online speaking about stuff because we all know how people are online. So, yeah. you know, it's uh, – I, I agree with you. but And, and of course, you know, you and I, you know, do this. You know, it's – it's uh, you know, we, we create content uh, regarding this and we try to maintain – you know, sure, we're also Orlando City fans, but we try to maintain, you know, a bit of a professionalism about us. So that means that we're purposely taking a more realistic look at it rather than just reacting. Well, we react in the moment and then we take a realistic yeah. approach. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not above throwing things at my television set when things aren't going well. <laughs> but, you know, I'm not going to get behind the keyboard and, and start you know spewing. I, I It's... The old cliches are cliches for a reason. There's a lot of truth to them. So when they say it's a marathon, not a sprint, it is absolutely true. I saw somebody, you know, all kinds of people online just talking about how that, you know, maybe we need to rethink the, the diamond formation. Maybe we need to redo this. It's like you don't have to tear up the blueprint and start all over because this was not this is not out of the ordinary for a team, even a very good team or a team that's off to a good start to have this kind of adversity on the road. It's just not so. You know, calm down. I, I think right. I'm 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 actually very, um, you know, I'm I'm kind of throwing the Houston game out. You know, that's a team that that's a game that the last two years would have been commonplace for this team. Right. And it's and it's not shown to be the case this year. Uh, what has not been commonplace the last two years is to play as well as the team did in Toronto. I'm actually more encouraged by this two game trip than discouraged because of the way they played in Toronto. If they had uh, played both games like the like the Houston game. Yeah, that I'd have a little bit more concern, but I'm I'm actually cautiously optimistic because based on that performance, a performance capable of of getting at least a point if not two. Um, mm-hmm. you know, Giovinco certainly didn't have an off night. If he had missed the two like Laren had, it would have been a win. So <laughs> um, but but you know, just the it it looked good in possession. It didn't look like Toronto could do that much. It, it just didn't seem like uh, a, a game where you, you panic or worry about it. I, I just didn't think it was that big, uh, a big problem. I thought that they played very well. They just didn't finish their chances. You're, you're always going to have games like that. That's why like a team like West Brom can have, 
you know, sustained success over several years against Manchester United at Old Trafford or whatever, because, you know, that just for whatever reason, that's their night. So um, I'd rather take, you know, I'll I'll take the good, I'll take the good performance, even though they didn't get the the result. And of course, you know, we always knew that there was a capability of, of, of having a real howler in one of those two games and it happened in Houston. So uh, I would say step back from the ledge, everybody take a deep breath. Let's see what happens this weekend at sporting KC. But you mentioned your player grades, uh, you know, that you had, uh, or sorry, your, your man of the match for uh, Wednesday against Toronto was specter. I would have to say that I thought maybe Tommy Redding was my player of the game in that game. Uh, Tommy, by the way, has been called up as we figured he would be to the US U20 team. He'll be leaving, uh, which will hurt the depth in the short term uh, during a very congested uh, finish to May and, and beginning to June. Uh, but Tommy will be going to South Korea with the US U20 team, and, and good luck to him and good luck to the US. Bring back that cup. That'd be really cool. Um, but yeah, Tommy was great. I thought that he for the most part, was very, very solid against Josie Altidore, who has been a lion killer. Uh, Josie did get one good chance at goal, and he missed the he missed the net uh, just to the left. Uh, there were several other opportunities where, where Tommy took the ball away from him and actually made him look silly on one instance. Uh, I remember and he that did, one that you're talking about. It was, yeah. yeah. He also did well in, uh, in, in against Giovinco, who's a, a much more difficult guy to to cover for a big dude, you know, if you're a big tall dude, you know, Giovinco just tends to lean down and and get leverage on you and, and, you know, scoot around you like a water bug kind of thing. I thought Tommy was really good. So uh, Tommy was my man of the match for the Wednesday game. So Houston comes. And of course uh, it it really, you know, I, I felt a little bit good considering, you know, they looked tired from the get go, but I felt like if they could get through the first 20 minutes or so, maybe they could settle into the game. Uh, they got, I think, 23 minutes into the game uh, <laughs> before disaster struck and, and they gave up a goal. And really, uh, and a lot of people are blaming Donnie Toya, but uh, Donnie Toya was asked to cover a very dynamic player, a very fast player uh, with some pretty dead legs. And I, I guess the best thing is he made Elise, uh, you know, go toward the outside a little bit. And then Joe Bendick just completely whiffed on the, on the near post shot to me. Right. Uh, yeah, every goal against is a team goal against in some respect, but that's a Joe Bendick mistake in my, in my opinion. And of course it's easy for me to say, I'm not the one facing that laser shot. Uh, but I expect, I expect a top flight goalkeeper, especially one that's made so many amazing saves, uh, as Joe Bendick has to, to, to have things covered on that near post. I really do. Well, and I think that's unfortunate. Yeah. It's just unfortunate that he didn't. And that's, I think that's what our expectations for, for Bendik are, are very high. And, you know, I think rightly so. I mean, he's, you know, since he's gotten to Orlando, he has proven himself time and time again now, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so we see something like that happen, you know, for, we go, oh gosh, why didn't he get, well, it was, you and I couldn't do it. And I mean, some of the, <laughs> the MLS couldn't do it, you know, and yeah. then that day Joe couldn't do it. So it's, um, you it's a, it's one of those um, unfortunate but fortunate things. It's mm-hmm. fortunate that we have Joe Bendick because he is really good. It's unfortunate for Joe that we're going to judge him against that all the time. Well, and the fortunate thing too is that you don't get many of those types of nights from Joe Bendick. And that again, 
Joe is another human being. He's 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 just as susceptible as anyone else to you know eating different food, sleeping in a different bed, you know, flying, traveling. They, you know, people say, well, goalkeepers they stand around a lot, which okay, in the course of a 90-minute game, they're not getting up and down the field like a fullback, but they are still moving quite a bit. They're still uh, the and and the mental part of the game for a goalkeeper is probably double of what it is for any other position player. So. Um, I've always associated t- goalkeeping more with like being a volleyball player. A tired mind, Dave, is is the quickest way to make your a tired body fail. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's if your mind gets tired, you make mistakes physically, physical mistakes because you know you're just it's just the nature of the beast. We're we're you know we're imperfect beings. We're not robots, and and once the once the mechanism that drives you is a little bit slow. You know, everything else is a little slow. So, I mean, I, I'm giving them a pass. I'm giving the whole team a pass on that Houston game. Um, and, you know, people feel free to blast me <laughs> in the comments, whatever. But I'm, I'm giving them a pass. They didn't play well. They know it. Nobody needs to tell them about it. They're they're going to move on and, and get on with life and, and go after Sporting KC. But, uh, exactly. Dave, um, you know, it became pretty apparent to me that in the second half, uh, once they got that second goal, which again, kind of that was the one that went kind of right through Bendik. Yeah. Um, once they got that second goal, and 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 probably a little bit of a letdown as well to see your your stud goalkeeper give up two goals like that. Um, then it was pretty much a done deal. There was not much chance that that, that team was going to come back against Houston at home, and you know, there are things that could have been done. Maybe Jason Christ could have tried changing shape or whatever. Uh, but, you know, he, he, he went with the guys that he brought. He stuck with his plan. You know, he, he was seeing probably enough possession to think of maybe we just get, maybe we just get the next goal and get back in this thing. Uh, but unfortunately then the fullback started getting caught up field as the game wore on and they got even more tired and that allowed Houston to have those jailbreak uh, breakaways and stuff. And, and they put two more in the net. And what are you going to do? You throw up your hands and you say, we'll get them next time. Uh, but who, who was your man of the match uh, for Orlando City for that game? Because that one for me was a very, very difficult call. Uh, it, it was incredibly difficult for you. And I'm actually going to uh, recuse myself from this. As I said, I was at a wedding, so I didn't get to <laughs> All I watched was the highlights. Okay. I don't okay. want to speak to it because I did not get to see any, I, you know, uh, in a game like that, you've got to see what people are doing off the ball. And I did not get to see what people were doing off the ball. Yeah. Uh, you know, for me, it kind of came down to a couple of guys. Um, and, I, and one of them, again, is, is Redding. I thought Redding had a good game. Um, you know, for the most part, I mean, you give up four goals. It's kind of hard to give it to a defender. <laughs> on the back line yeah. It, but you know, honestly, it didn't seem like anything was intent w- w- was directly tied to, to Reading. It seemed like it came up the wings or right. it was a, or it was a midfield mistake where uh, like, for example, on the, I think it was the second goal, maybe that no Chirino coughed up the ball, but he was triple teamed. People are giving him a lot of stick for it, but he had three guys on him and, he needed the ball to settle so he could get rid of it. And by the time he got it settled, it was taken from him. So um, not given the ball in the best spot, certainly he could have done better. And who knows what, you know, it's hard to tell what kind of communication he was getting from then. You know, it's one thing to say, you know, he got himself into a bad spot. Too many guys around him should have got rid of the ball. It's another thing entirely when none of his teammates yelled to him that he had a man coming 
And yeah. that's an that's something that you rely on. You rely on that communication. And Jonathan Spector didn't dress for that game. They uh, Christ gave him the game off, and I think that some of the communication out there suffered because of that. And 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 I don't think it's entirely a physical thing or entirely mental thing. I think some of it was leadership and some of it was communication. Um, and when you get all of that going badly, then it's the perfect storm and you get blown out four nil on the road. Um, right. You know what? I'm going to go ahead and give it to Tommy. I, I, I'll give both of them to Tommy. I thought Tommy had a pretty good week overall. Um, and uh, he could have, he, he could have probably played better, but I think you could say that about anybody. I, I think that, Everybody in that Houston game played somewhat poorly. The other guy I was thinking of, of maybe uh, a lot of he's this guy gets a lot of crap on the internet, and I don't know why, because I thought that he was one of the better, at least the best, maybe the best midfielder on the team on Saturday, and that was Lewis Gill. Uh, but hmm. people have so much hate for this guy. It's 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 it, the I guess the good thing for me is it reminds me of Nocherino, how much hate that Nocherino used to get. Because oh, yeah. now, for the most part, everybody loves loves Noche now, and I think Lewis Gill will win them over in the end. He, he he hustled. I think he had, I think he had half of Orlando's shots uh, on uh, on Saturday, and you know, on a night when nobody's creating anything, he was trying to do things to create things, and he was one of the more active players on a night when people's legs weren't working very well. So um, I could have given it to Lewis Gill, but I, I think that maybe Tommy had a little bit better night. Well, and, you know, good for Tommy getting, you know, two of your man of the matches uh, in a row before, you know, now that he's been called up uh, and he wants the opportunity. Um, and then regarding Lewis Gill, I mean, is it the hair? Is that what people don't like? <laughs> I, you know, I think it's there's there's something about new guys. When new guys come in, people expect them to step in and just do great right away. I think a lot of people thought that Nocherino, because he was paid a lot of money, would come in and be great right away. And, yeah. oh, here's a guy who played in, you know, Serie A. He's going to come in and be awesome. He played, you know, for, he, you know, he played it for Milan with, with Kaká. You know, he's that caliber type of guy who can play with guys like Kaká and Zlatan and stuff like that. And it's like, uh, you know, maybe you want to pump the brakes a little bit and, and, and wait till the guy gets acclimated. Because he was, he was, he was in Liga MX, which I think objectively is a better league than MLS. But he wasn't getting playing time, so he's still going to have to play his way back into that, like other people are. And and I think that Christ played him because of squad rotation and because of necessity. I think that that's why you have a guy like Lewis Gill on the team, so he can get out there and play uh, when you need when you need to rest guys or guys get hurt or guys get sick or whatever. So I think Jason Christ did what he and and Jason Christ trusts him. I mean he's played yeah. he's played for Jason Christ before. So he, he knows the shape. He knows the way that the tactics that Jason Christ expects. Uh, he may not be quite up to where he needs to be yet, but um, that doesn't mean you can't play him because, you know, in the, you get this many fixtures, you're going to have to rotate the squad. It's not like, you know, it's not like Manchester United where you've got guys that, you know, Bastian Schweinsteiger couldn't get on the field. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, this is, this is not that kind of depth. It's, you know, MLS squads are what twenty three, I think, and let's face it, probably six or seven of those guys are really prospects, not really first team type players. So, you know, depth in MLS is is just like you know not comparable to the European. No, it's league. not. It's not the level that the 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 other leagues are necessarily going to be, and um, you know, that's part of growth. Okay, I mean, mm-hmm. you know. 
I mean, we were, you know, before the uh, the season, you know, before all the uh, the acquisitions, we were bemoaning depth on the on the back line. Actually, we we still kind of are just because of injuries and stuff. But, you know, Jason went out and and addressed that. And mm-hmm. you know, setting aside the Houston game, you know, we've had an outstanding defense this year. So, um, if I think we said it when we talked about when when Gil was coming in first, you know, if if uh, Coach Christ, trust him, then, you know, we're going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I, I saw a lot of what you did as far as, you know, people bashing the guy. It's like, okay, well, he's only been here not very long. He hasn't seen the field that much either. So, um, and then he's out there against a inspired Houston team with a bunch of mm-hmm. teammates who are, are tired as all get out. And it, it, how much can he do on his own? Yeah, Statistically, he didn't have, he didn't have bad nights comparable to to his teammates i mean if you look at both of those games his stats weren't that bad right he he's again he's 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 working his way back into match fitness in terms of 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 not just not just physical fitness i think physically he's fine but it's the speed of thought of the game and also knowing where your teammates are going to be he's he's not played with these guys he's still got to get used to you know what movement they like to make and where they like to go and where they want the ball do they want it out in front of them do they want it played to their feet that kind of thing uh there's a lot that goes into it i just think he's taken a lot of, of grief that probably is unwarranted and i think that a lot of people will maybe come to regret those words but and and i certainly hope so i mean i you know well, of course we want nobody yeah. nobody wants it nobody wants anybody to fail i mean i think the only person that gets more stick than lewis gill on this team right now is seb Hines. still gets too much grief i just yeah. saw somebody i just saw somebody suggest uh that scott sutter should play center back uh if something happens to aha or specter and it's <laughs> like do you maybe not remember we have a guy experienced that can play center back who's finally got a healthy knee um but you know that's that's just the way it is anyway i don't want to rant too much about it i don't even want to talk too much about this stupid houston game because again i'm blowing it off i'm, I'm thinking this is not a trend this is not a, a thing that we need to worry about happening over and over again i think this is a an isolated incident and and of course it's learning experience because now when they go into the crowded fixtures at the end of the month and into June, um, there's no three and eight days like there was, you know, like they're just coming off of, but there's I think six and 23 days, which is still a lot. Yeah, that's a lot yeah. uh, and, and it's uh it's, it's a situation where they, yeah, they're going to have to, they're going to have to have learned from that experience and, you know, hopefully they will be, they'll be healthy. Hopefully, um, you know, some of the guys probably won't get rest that that did this time. Maybe maybe Spectre doesn't get the night off. <laughs> right. Um, and um, you know, one thing I did want to address too is I, I've seen a lot of people, a lot of confusion about this. People are, are are wondering, well, if the fullbacks got burned so bad, why didn't they they play Ramos or Alston or PC? Uh, let me tell you why. Um, Alston's hurt. Ramos is hurt. And PC hasn't looked that great in USL games, so he probably doesn't have the trust of Jason Christ. Even though he was on the bench and in the 18, um, he was probably a break glass in case of emergency option only. Um, but Ramos is still dealing with the hamstring. I think he should be back again soon. He 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 t- it tightened up on him. He was getting ready to, to make a like a rehab game appearance uh, with OCB, and and it tightened up on him. And he went for another scan. They didn't show any further damage. So it's just a matter of getting that thing, you know, 
getting him comfortable and, and getting back out on the field and, and being able to, to play his way in. But you're not going to throw him into an MLS game uh, to start when he hasn't played all year uh, anyway. So he he's going to make his first appearance, one would expect, for OCB before he sees the field from the MLS team. Uh, Alston hurt himself in the USL game um, a couple of weeks ago, so he's still not quite available. And I think the plan is, again, to have him go to OCB once he's back and I think he's getting close, but he's not quite there yet. So that's why those guys weren't available. People say we'd have no depth. We have depth. It was just all hurt. <laughs> <laughs> the fullback depth was depleted by injury. Um, because if you have a Sutter and a Toya and you have a healthy Alston and a healthy Ramos, and if PC is in form, then you have sufficient MLS depth at fullback. And then we're not looking at what uh, we looked and, at. Yeah. Right. And Tommy Redding can play right back if need be in a, you know, and, and obviously Will Johnson can play right back if need be. Um, but apparently, you know, with with not with the decision not to start Kaká in the back to back uh, on the second of the back to backs, you know, he wanted Will Johnson in the midfield. And, and the, you know, that's sound thinking. Um, but, you know, and in the end, could Will Johnson have done much more than Sutter did? I don't know. Uh, and Will said himself he still wasn't feeling good in that in that game Saturday night, but he sucked it up and he played, which is which is awesome. So uh, true leader, really gritty guy, really happy to have Will. Johnson. Well, and he was doing a lot of the since Specter was out. I mean, he was he was moving back more so that he could help with, uh, you know, making sure people were in the right position, especially on set pieces, things like that. So, I mean, he you know, we talked about how the, the midfield was missing something. Well, part of that may have been that, you know, Will was having to to go back further than maybe he would if um, uh, Spectre was there. So, you know, that uh, once again, a, a whole bunch of things that added up to just a bad game that we're not going to talk about anymore. Yeah, we're done. All right. So let's move ahead in, uh, in our programming. We have, uh, we have our guests coming up in just a bit, but for right now, let's, uh, we, we mentioned OCB. OCB did not play this week. They, uh, they've had about two weeks off and are going to get back into things this weekend at FC Cincinnati. So, uh, next week we'll have some OCB to talk about, but really nothing to speak of now. We, we already mentioned Tommy Redding is going off to the, uh, the World Cup with the U-20 team. That leaves Orlando City with uh, Jonathan Spector, Jose Aja, the starters. So at least you have your starters healthy. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then uh, Seb Hines is probably going to see the bench, as well as Leo Pereira. Uh, and you just have to hope that, hope that Spector and Aja stay healthy. Especially if you're a Heinz hater, you, you have to hope those starters can go and can play in every game. And and I'm sure, you know, a young guy like Aha should be fine. He should be able to play. Um, you know, and and, a, and an older guy like Specter, probably going to have to manage his minutes a little bit. He's probably going to have to, you know, um, maybe not push up when he ordinarily would. Right. You know, maybe sort of take it take it a little bit more easy and in, in over the course of 90 minutes to to still have something at the end of the game. So uh, it's really kind of important in these, the, the end of May schedule and into June that the, the team does well in possession in these upcoming games. So they're not uh, having to exert as much defensively as, as normal. Cause you got to keep the captain or not the captain, but you got to keep Spectre fresh. He's like having a captain on. He's like having you an extra. Know, when, when we've got Kaka and Johnson, we've got three <laughs> cap- and then you know, we got three captains out there. It's fantastic. That's pretty great. That's pretty great. Um, okay, so let's turn our attention toward the oh man, the poor Orlando yeah. Pride. They were like five minutes from a win. They were like well, five minutes plus stoppage time, but 
they go out to FC Kansas City. Very difficult team to score against. They've got, you know, outstanding goalkeeper in Nicole Barnhart. Very active. She comes off her line. She reads the game very, very well. Uh, veteran player, um, you know, whereas a lot of goalkeepers would stay where they're at and keep their hold their position. She comes out and sniffs out danger before it's even danger. Right. And it's very, very difficult to to beat her in the best of circumstances. Then you put Becky Sauerbrunn in front of her, maybe the best center back on the planet in the women's mm-hmm. game. It's really, really hard to score on that team. Um, they had lost 1-0 the previous two games, and they, had, they won their first game. And uh, the Pride went out to their place. Again, hard to win on the road in the NWSL as well. Um, and uh, the, the Pride battled, and I think, pretty much outplayed FC Kansas City throughout the game. Um, FC Kansas City started better. Uh, the pride kind of came into the game, although uh, they lost Monica early in the game. She had an injury, bone bruise, and uh, she'll be missing this weekend's game uh, coming up against North Carolina Courage, but maybe we'll be back for this trip to Seattle. Uh, anyway, they, they go out there and they, they play hard. They play well, uh, just not able to get that final ball. And finally, Marta scores in the 74th minute on a great play. I mean, Kristen Edmonds stepped into a passing lane, took the ball away. Fed it forward for Jasmine Spencer, who just gave it a touch to uh, to Marta, and uh, and Marta did the rest. And even that shot, Nicole Barnhart got a piece. Yeah, of. Yeah, it was a, a left so, footer, uh... <laughs> a left footer from Marta that, that she gets a piece of. Unfortunately, that you know, she she gets a, a hand on it, and it was it was a little too much, and it goes over top of her and, and in for the goal. But um, and and you know, Marta's opened her account. That's fantastic. Hopefully, it means many, many, many more for the pride because they're going to need it. Um, I, you know, of course, Harris um, again had a had a really good game. Um, you know, uh, that save against the Rue, the Rue. I mean, you know, another women's national team player who is is um, you know an an outstanding striker. So uh, uh, you've got that, and so it, it was. I think they're probably their best overall game they've played. And like you said, five minutes. Mm-hmm. Certainly yeah. their best defensive game, oh. for sure. Uh, you mentioned Harris' a save against LaRue. And, and I think here's a, an indication of how they played well. Sydney LaRue didn't get many chances. Uh, she was quiet almost the whole entire game. Um, and and that, that makes it even more difficult to make a good save because – you know, you're not tested that much. I don't think Harris was tested all that much. And then they get a goal out of nothing. Uh, this sort Literally of phantom tough. call outside the box. Uh, phantom call outside the box when really FCKC had nothing much going. The, the one good opportunity that Harris denied. And then, uh, you know, E.L. Averbush is one of the best free kick takers in NWSL. And uh, they scored off a free kick from her last year against the Pride. This year, she comes up, steps up, and I'm just praying for it to hit the wall or go over the net. And it hits off the post, bounces right back square in front of the net. Doesn't bounce out or or wide. It bounces right in front. And, you know, Harris had, had, she committed herself to the dive to stop the initial shot coming in. And after it hit off the post, you know, she's scrambling to get back in position. To her credit, she still made one or two saves before they were able to poke the ball past her into the net. But that's a tough, tough pill to swallow in like the 85th yeah. minute, you know, five minutes, five minutes from the end of, you know, end of regulation time when you haven't won a game all year. And uh, it's just unfortunate that the Pride couldn't finish it off. But to come home uh, with a 1-1 draw and, uh, you know, if they hadn't been 0-3, you'd say that's a pretty good result. Exactly. I, you know, I mean, we, we've been talking about 
nothing else except for how hard it is to win on the road. Um, and so, you know, this is a perfect example of that. Um, like you say, any other time we would say, hey, 1-1 one, one draw, excellent. You know, of course, we always want three points, but, you know, to take a point on the road and, and back home mm-hmm. is, is usually a good thing. Um, I'm, I'm choosing to look at the positives in this one. Um, you know, Marta getting on the board, um, you know, Harris playing well, uh, Danica Evans in there. I mean, she had it first, yep, start. first start and, uh, got to see her flip throw about four or five times. <laughs> exactly. How cool is that? So, um, that you know, cool. that's, I, there, I think there were just a lot of positives and then, you know, to, to have it get equalized, you know, thanks to that, uh, that, uh, I guess it was the 12th pride member that was on the field ghost pride. Uh, that, uh, that did that foul. I'm not sure. I, I've watched the, uh, I've watched it over and over again. I can't quite figure it out, but, uh, and the only thing I could figure is they, they are, they ruled that, that LaRue was held up outside the box, but she wasn't getting to that ball over no. the top. She wasn't getting there. It just wasn't going to happen And 99 times out of a hundred. That's not getting called. Yeah. Uh, but that's the kind of call you get at home when it's a, when it's a national team player, you know, I guess. Yeah, so, um, so the other thing too, uh, you know, one thing I just want to interject here that uh, we just I just realized is that Jonathan Spector ha- has been nursing an ankle injury uh, for a few weeks. So that's uh, one of the reasons that Jason Christ held him out of that game. Sorry to go sort of all uh, bad segue on you, but we're just we're just making <laughs> you know, sure that everybody is paying attention. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, so so that's another reason Spector wasn't uh, getting in. Anyway. Uh, so the pride will will um, be doesn't get any easier. 0-2 it two. doesn't get oh two and two coming home and they get to play the best team in the league the four and zero North Carolina Courage which uh, uh, who have already beaten them three uh, one earlier in the year but that was at their place this will be at the Purple Palace maybe it'll be a fortress for the pride uh, they've already got a point there hopefully they get their first win there this weekend on Sunday and hopefully Marta gets two more. <laughs> yeah, that'd be nice. And you know, over her the course of her her most recent assignments, she's been about good for about a goal every other game. So considering the fact that she only played, uh, you know, 30 minutes less than 48 hours after landing in town, I'm not going to count that first 30 minutes as a game. So she's basically since that game has played twice and scored one goal. So she's still on that every other game sort of uh, pace. So. Uh, she's good for about a goal every 180 minutes, and and that's just the one she scores. She also sets goals sure. up, so uh, it'd be nice if some of these other players would start tucking those in the net that she's given them because she's really been dangerous on the crosses. She leads the NWSL or she leads the team. I'm sorry in scoring chances created, and she's not even played what she's played just over two yeah. games. So uh, well done for the Brazilian. Um, so. Another thing we should tr- probably talk about is it's now official. The World Cup qualifier in October is coming to Orlando City Stadium. Um, that has been made official. I think we've talked about it before, but the U.S. will be playing Panama here on October 6th, and that is pretty awesome. It's going to be uh, a safe standing section for the American Outlaws. Dave. Oh, fun. <laughs> that means it's not as fun. So what do you think? Um, I mean, what do you think? What do you think of the of the U.S. team playing? Uh, I think it. I think that. Uh, so it's it's you know for us it's the the first major event that's going to be in there that's not a, a you know a uh, Orlando City organization uh, game. So that's that right there. Mm-hmm. I mean that's fantastic. Of course it's you know the hex. 
Um, I believe it was you, or at least part of you, that wrote that it was the um, uh, uh, Panama in the Purple Palace uh, in, in Paramore. Paramore. Exactly. So we've got, we've got yeah. lots, of, <laughs> lots of P's going on there. But uh, um, right. no, it's anytime, anytime the, the national team is there, you're, you're going to have, uh, you know, the, the outlaws are going to be, you're going to have, uh, we, and we spoke about this last time. Um, Orlando City with as many soccer fans, they're going to be out there. I mean, you and I are both members of the American Outlaws, and um, mm. I, I know that uh, even those who aren't, um, which I, you know, not to tout for them, but, you know, you and I are members. I, I would encourage people, if you're a national team member, go ahead and, and join your local Outlaws. I mean, it's uh, it's worthwhile to be able to go watch the games, uh, you know, with like-minded people. So, um, but re- regardless... It's, it's good, it is fun. good fun, and uh, and I, I've actually met people uh, through the through the outlaws that you know I I had met before. Literally uh, in the in the World Cup, I've got some people who are now good good friends of mine that I met through the American Outlaws. So um, it's it's worth a it's worth a, it's worth the dues. Um, but uh, regardless, um, anytime you you've got the, the the national team playing, it's it's an event. Um, it's going to get the coverage, uh, which is going to highlight the, uh, the stadium and, uh, Orlando city as, um, a soccer Mecca in the South. Um, it's going to be a good, um, essentially advertisement for, uh, the city and also the, um, the organization and also, um, the U S uh, national team, especially because it is such a great stadium, which is why it was picked. So, I'm I'm excited for it. I know that you're going to be going, and I'm incredibly jealous about that. But um, <laughs> you know, I I will be watching regardless. And uh, no, I I couldn't be more more pleased about it. I think it's it's going to be good, not just for not just for Orlando, but I think it's also going to be good for U.S. soccer. Yeah, I think the atmosphere is going to be nuts. And and if that game has any meaning on the line, like the, the if there's still spots up for grabs. Uh, uh, for qualification, that's going to be an incredible, incredible event. So, um, you know, Panama is still in a pretty decent spot right now. The U.S. still needs to get uh, yeah. get some more points, and there'll be a few games between now and then. One of those games, though, is in Mexico, so um, that's going to be a tough ask there. Uh, so, it's it, this still could have some some ramifications when when the uh, the U.S. Uh, comes to uh, to the city beautiful to play in our beautiful building. So hopefully uh, it'll go well. Hopefully we'll fill it and hopefully it'll become a, a regular part of, of the gold cup and world cup qualifying and all of that. It'd be really great to see the U S men's national team and the U S women's national team uh, playing in Orlando city stadium, uh, you know, regularly. Absolutely. And, and you know what the, uh, the people who are listening to this podcast can do is go watch, get tickets, That's buy, right, a, buy ticket. a ticket. <laughs> Orlando City uh, fans will no doubt get a pre-sale, so uh, you know you have no excuse. You're gonna you're gonna be able to get tickets. So uh, want to see you there. You can hang out with me. We'll have beer. It'll be good. Uh, okay. Well, I think we've talked long enough. Let's bring in our guest because it's it's just been uh, just you and me, and I think people just need that fresh voice. So uh, we're gonna get to our guest after this. All right, joining us on the Mainland Podcast this week is Simon Vaness. He is the uh, MLSsoccer.com 
beat writer covering Orlando City. He's also the co-author of an upcoming book called Defying Expectations. Simon, thanks for being on the podcast. Hi, guys. Good to be here. So I want to dive right into this thing. Defying Expectations is a book about specifically, obviously it's about Orlando City in general, but what specifically did you really want to write about with this book? Well, it started out really as a, a straightforward biography of Phil Rawlins, who, as obviously most people will know, is the founding owner um, of Orlando City, um, you know, going back to their Austin days, in fact, you know, when it became, um, you know, his his passion, his, his mission in life to create an MLS team. Um, and that is essentially what it is. But over the course of, of the story and digging into you know Phil's backstory and and everything that went on. We we got great access to to pretty much everyone at the club, and you know over time it's become re- you know really a story of Orlando City and and everyone, all the sort of if you like the key people that have been involved in the story from the word go. So we were very fortunate to get good access to everyone, and hopefully we're we're telling their story too. Well, uh, speaking of of that, um, you know you talk about access uh and it and it becoming a greater story what was the most um surprising part of what you found out uh while while you know researching and, and writing the book was there there's something that stood out to you i think that the thing that most stands out when you look at phil's overall story there are a couple of things you know in all first is this really strong and and almost defining um, experience and memory of his first um, trips to soccer games, going to, to Stoke City when he was a kid with his dad. And I, I think you can see in the way that the club has developed and in aspects of the club that that, that footprint, that imprint, if you like, of his his early experiences have stayed with him right the way through his his journey in life and have, have now really come to fruit in in Orlando City. And at the same time as that, you, you've got this story of a guy coming from the most humble working class background in Britain because Stoke City in the 1960s was not an affluent place by any means. Um, and he came out of there as a very successful entrepreneur, went on to create a, a wonderfully successful business, which he, he then sold and moved into other ventures, which then became Stoke City, Austin Aztecs, and, and as we now know, Orlando City. Now, Simon, the you know the the storybook um, you know sort of fairy tale almost like uh, quality of, of this the rise of this soccer team has been a pretty amazing thing to watch for those of us that have been sort of I, I mean, I don't really consider myself an insider, but, you know, I, I do cover the team and, and as well as you do as well. And, you know, one of the things that I think is interesting is, you know, for as beloved as, as Phil has been in this town and, and deservedly so for, for all that he's accomplished, I, I, I wondered if you got a sense of what uh, or, or if there's been sort of a, a, a change in some attitude toward him from supporters, uh, you know, based on the, on the split with Kay, because uh, Phil and Kay were, were the first family of, of Orlando soccer and, and, sure. and sort of that, that fairy tale sort of got, uh, tarnished a little bit, I think, you know, but, but everybody's human and, and you know, they're not immune to, to, you know, pressures and, 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 you know, relationship issues, you know, that, that most normal people have. 
it's it's a it's a good question and a difficult one to answer because effectively the book stops the the time period of the book stops at the end of the second season in in MLS we had to to draw a line under what we were doing um, in publishing terms mm. and actually stop the story there so it it, it actually finishes uh, in October uh, 2016 with the end of the the second season and missing out on from uh, the playoffs um, for for that year so the as far as the book's concerned that's really where the the story ends and and from our point of view in telling the story it's it's a complete story up to that point because what's happened subsequently is a very personal and private matter mm-hmm. um, and and obviously you know looking at it from the outside you know you're dismayed for for you know all the parties involved, but that's very much now their, um, you know, their own personal um, episode to to carry on, um, and we weren't, you know, we weren't privy to what happened, um, and we, you know, we're certainly not um, writing about it in the book because right. it's beyond the scope of of what we were really charged with doing. Um, I, I, you can, you can definitely see that there is a, you know, a different. Um, uh, dynamic involved in in terms of you know fan reaction at the moment, but I know it's it was interesting from from my point of view when we did the cover for the book, which which was I think the third um, game of the season at the new stadium. We went down onto the field with Phil to take a picture in front of the wall, which is obviously the the most iconic part of the stadium. Mm-hmm. And the, the, certainly, looking around at the fans there, the reaction towards Phil was still very, very positive. Um, and I think he has built up a really good store of of positive of empathy because of you know the what has happened over the years. Um, and that he's put so much of himself into the club in, in creating it. And in, in a way, you know, again, this is just me personalizing, you know, what I'm seeing. It's, it's great to see that, you know, in some ways that Kay is now, you know, in, in many ways the focus um, of the, the, the heart and soul of the club going forward mm-hmm. because of her connection with the Orlando City Foundation. And I think that the, the fans will continue to warm to her as well and and if you like they will carry this legacy forward albeit probably not in the way that everyone would have wanted but i still think in a you know in a very positive manner because of what phil started and what Kay in in many ways is now continuing um Simon, I'm curious. Uh, you, you mentioned that it, you know, it started out as more just a uh, you know biography of uh, of Phil. But um, what was it that that made you decide that that was something that you wanted to do? Was there something? Um, yeah, I, I, obviously, I mean, you do it for a living. But was there something about the the idea behind him and Orlando City that what was it that prompted the idea behind the book? It, it, it's a great question, Dave. And I th- I think what it is. Um, we both got interested in the story as as casual observers through the first few years of, of Orlando City's life in in the United Soccer League stage, um, and we we're watching this phenomenon develop. Um, we have to say that you know our uh, sort of forte and expertise in the past has been sport and travel. You know we we'd never attempted a biography before. But we, you know, we were looking at this story, um, and as I was right doing a, a few stories about Orlando City at that stage for the Guardian, got to know Phil a little bit. You know, you, you, 
being also you know originally from Britain as well, there's there's a little bit more of a, a simpatico there in terms of the way we talk about soccer. Mm-hmm. And I come from a very similar background in terms of growing up in that same period, that same soccer environment that Phil did. So I can relate. You know, I was able to relate to a lot of his experience, and it was pretty clear by the time that the team got MLS status and that they were then looking to go into the league, that this was a great human interest story. And I mentioned it to Phil, um, I think, you know, early in, in the 2015, the debut season, and said, look, are you keeping a good journal of this? Are you really detailing everything that you're going through? Because the story now is, is becoming big and real and, and very dramatic. And he said, yes, I am. You know, would you be interested in writing it if, if I decide to do that? And I said, yeah. I, you know, certainly, you know, the two of us with myself and Susan, both having sort of story, we're, we're sort of very story driven writers. Um, and a lot of what we do is based around having um, a story that is really engaging. And I think we were both struck by this. And, and Susan, if you like, who was effectively the executive editor of the book. She effectively molded the story or took the story from me and then molded it into a way that made sense in the bigger picture. She was able to step away from the, um, the nuts and bolts of playing soccer and, and the soccer um, terminology and say, OK, but the story now needs to do a little bit of this and it needs to diversify um, and become more human interest in terms of the, the people coming into it. So that's the way it kind of developed that, you know, it was kind of mutual conversation with Phil about the idea of a book um, that he then said, yep, let's let's do it. Um, and then having that, you know, ability between the two of us to hopefully develop the story the way it needed to be. You know, Simon, as somebody that that considered writing a book about the, the inaugural season for Orlando City and then realized there's no way in hell I had enough time to, to go about doing that. Uh, I just was curious as to how many hours you think you have wrapped up in this and, and, and like how many hours of, of, of interviews that you have wrapped up in this. Yeah, that's, yeah. We, we, we did actually put a, a tally together once we'd, we'd finished the full interview process. And it was, I think it was just over 100 hours of recorded interviews with Phil, Kay, with Adrian, with Gary Meller, John Bonner, um, with Flavio, Kaká, some of the other players and backroom staff, some of their friends um, from Austin, um, and you know, pretty much Uncle Tom Cobley and all by then. Hmm. Um, you know, by the time that they built the, the the staff into a you know a, a very serious and and you know fully fledged club, you know, there's a lot a lot of different people to interview, and so yeah, we we ended up with just over a hundred hours of raw interview which we then had to, to transcribe. And when I say we, what I mean is that Susan actually put her hand up and volunteered to do all of that. Oh, that poor um, woman. Yeah, she, she, she carried a big load on, on this project. And I can sit here and talk about it, and she hates to talk about it. So I, I can sit here and sound like I, I did it all, but ultimately you know, a lot of it was down to, to her initiative and pulling it all together and, and you know, really directing the story where it needed to go. Well, I'm uh, curious, uh, obviously, like you said, uh, uh, both you and Phil are from Britain and um, you had similar upbringings in regard to uh, soccer. Um, what, uh, I'm, I'm curious, one, who did you support 
as you were growing up and or who do you still support? And then um, have you added to that? I'm, I'm making a little bit of an assumption that you've added uh, Orlando City to your uh, <laughs> uh, your supporter. Uh, uh, Jean, yeah, right. Um, so I, I'm curious about, you know, of course, who, who it is that you, you supported growing up and then, um, you know, what it was uh, that uh, enticed you to, to support Orlando City. Right. Okay. Tretz, taking question one first. I mean, the, the team I went to, to watch, and I guess I supported as a kid, now this is when I was sort of, um, sort of 9, 10, 11, was, was actually Chelsea. So, you know, I, I have that particular cross to bear from, from all other London fans. And it, was, it was pure. I mean, this is really stupid. This was, it was purely after the 1969 FA Cup final between Tottenham and Chelsea. And my dad was a Tottenham fan at that time. Um, and I still don't know why, because he's, you know, he's never really you know, been in that part of London. Um, <laughs> So I thought, well, okay. In that case, Chelsea, I think, lost to Tottenham in that that final. I thought, well, I've, I've got to support the underdog. Um, so I ended up going and supporting Chelsea and, <laughs> and going to quite a few games at what was then the old Stamford Bridge and being just just hooked on this whole visual um, spectacle of of soccer in those days because it was so vivid. Um, and when Phil talks in the book about um, going to to Stoke City at their old Victoria Ground. Um, you know, which was an absolute relic, you know, in the 1960s, but still had this cachet of, of being a, a spectacular um, coliseum, if you like, of, of soccer um, and talking about how green the, the field was and, and how vivid the images were that you got from it. That, that resonated with me. So I, I certainly had that same experience from going to, to Chelsea as a kid. Now, then... Moving on a few years, when I got into to journalism and started working in, in local newspapers, and, and I was on the, the sports beat in southeast London, um, I got to cover quite a few teams, both in non-league and league. Um, and my you know, main team, league-wise, was Charlton Athletic um, at the Valley. Now, this was in the 1980s. I got to know them really well. And when you get to know a club and you know the people and you feel that their heart is in the right place, you're, you, you instinctively kind of pull for them. So, you know, by sort of almost a process of osmosis, if you like, I became a Charlton fan through the 1980s, and I still am today. Um, and it's still a team, I, you know, whose result I look out for, first of all, um, on every Saturday or Sunday, whenever they're playing at the weekend. And obviously, their demise in recent years has been very painful to, to witness because of the... The, the relegation system there, which which means that if you don't perform, you know, you're down among the deadbeats for any number of years until you can scratch, claw and bite your way back again. So that's that was, you know, my my current team. And then obviously, you know, getting to know Orlando City um, and seeing this incredible phenomenon develop that was both a sporting phenomenon and especially a community phenomenon. The fact that the community and the people of Orlando got behind the soccer team so avidly and you just felt for them, you really felt their passion and their drive and their, their sense of triumph when the team did well and the, the, the disappointment when you know they didn't make the playoffs. You, you felt those emotions so strongly that you can't help but be emotionally invested in the team as well. So, you know, 
but yeah, I, I would have to hold my hand up and say that I'm probably as much a fan um, of Orlando City as I am a writer these days. And you do quite a bit of writing. I know you do. You know, you do your travel stuff. That's I think geared uh, towards Brits that, that come over and, and and visit the U.S. And maybe uh, tell some tell some of our listeners where well tell all of our listeners that are actually listening where they can uh, where can they find you on the internet where you know where where can your stuff be found. Well, I mean, the, the best way to sort of keep tabs on what we're doing in in the broadest sense is to follow us on on Facebook, where we're Vanessa Travel Media. Mm-hmm. Um, and on Twitter is, uh, you know, the same thing. And we, we try to keep, you know, a broad um, portfolio of all our work on, you know, those two, you know, if you like, public forums as our mm-hmm. shop window. So we've got the travel writing arm, which does um, the Brit Guide to Orlando, which is the UK's best selling travel guide. And we've been doing that for nearly 25 years. So that's been, if you like, our stock in trade. But then Susan developed a, another series of books um, with a U.S. publisher here in, in um, Florida that um, focused on Disney, and that was the hidden magic of Disney series, and that's become very, very successful and very popular. So if you like, we've got two guidebook series. We then do a lot of um, travel writing work for newspapers and magazines and different sort of online um, companies, um, basically all about Florida um, and the theme parks and the attractions here. Um, I write part-time um, features for The Guardian, purely in sport, um, I used to do a lot more uh, sports writing for The Sun um, and occasionally The Express in the UK, um, but we still, you know, have other, you know, writing interests that we're developing at the moment. We've got two other books that we're looking to find a publisher for of travel stories, if you like, travel narratives. Mm-hmm. One of which is is going through the US. Um, and another of which is, is Susan's experiences of travels in Europe. So um, we're trying to diversify as, as much as we can and you know, be, basically just explore you know, good stories because you know, as, as the first thing they always tell you at Disney and Universal, everything is driven by story. Um, and then if you don't have a good story to tell, you know, you're, you're, you're not in the game. You know? So that's, that's what we're looking to do and, and try and you know, be as broad as possible, hence that the... You know, the Defying Expectations book was a real boon to us in terms of being able to develop a new arm to what we do. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, MLSsoccer.com, uh, obviously, as well. Uh, Simon, can you, before we let you go, can you, can you please tell folks sort of what's left to do with the book and, and how can they get their hands on it and how soon? Sure. The, the, we are literally doing the very final touches to the text at the moment. Um, we're going going through the... The proof stage of the book, which is the, one of the most laborious processes of just reading and rereading um, the pages once they've been set up as gal- what they call galley proofs, which is as it would look uh, in a book. Um, we're finishing off the index, which is a real painful process of going <laughs> through page by page and highlighting the different words. And then once that's done, um, it's all out of our hands and goes off um, back to the publisher, which is um, University of Nebraska Press. They they will then send it to their printer, um, hopefully in around about July-ish, sometimes, you know, July, maybe August, if, if we don't hit all our deadlines. Um, and then 
obviously it's got to be turned into to proper book form and it's it's quite a big production because it's it's over 300 pages it's got color photos mm-hmm. um as well as being a hardback edition so it's a it's quite a a major production from that point of view um the official publication date is november one but that to a certain extent is is largely academic because if we're able to to hit all our deadlines it will be out sooner than that mm. it could be out as soon as the end of september so there's if you like you know a um a four to six week window of opportunity there and we obviously want to get it out as soon as possible right. um, and to a certain extent it's out of our hands as to exactly when but we can certainly say it will be this fall um, ideally it will be you know with the, the season still going and with the team you know shooting for a playoff place so you know it will heighten the awareness and the excitement of the team and hopefully we can you know ride in on the back of that and you know get people interested in the book as well. And is that just going to be on Amazon, or is it going to be in stores locally, or, or at the games, or anything like that? Uh, it, oh, sorry. Yeah, of course. Um, it will be um, available in local bookstores, but for anyone that's um, looking looking to get in, you know, as early as possible, it's on Amazon um, for pre-order. So, you know, if you get in first and you know you order it on Amazon, you're guaranteed to get you know one of the very first copies. So that that obviously is an incentive for, for people to go online and it's just Amazon.com, look up defying expectations, um, and it will come up there with the you know, the cover of the book and you know, off you go. There you go. And and um you know, we, we certainly are looking forward to, to seeing that come out and and uh, getting our hands on that and, and of course uh, Amazon is, is a you know obviously you want to get in on that it would be nice too though to, to be able to walk into a store and see it on display how how, how big a print run are you guys uh, starting with that that we absolutely don't know at the moment we've we can we can only make suggestions to the the, the publisher and what we think you know it will do but you know we we would estimate that the initial print run should be you know between five and ten thousand copies um but again you know to a certain extent it will be um guided by pre-orders the more pre-orders they get obviously the more copies they will print mm-hmm. um and th- you know then it becomes if you like a self-fulfilling prophecy because bookstores will see um on the book track mechanism which is how they you know buy books which ones are, are doing well in pre-order and they will then order more copies sure so you know obviously we're you know we're keen for people to to get their orders in nice and early um and then it will help to build interest in the book and you know, we'll then see it, you know, even more copies of it out and about in, in the central Florida area. I think we can uh, count on uh, at least two uh, pre-orders <laughs> uh, from from your mainland podcast hosts. So uh, there, well, there's two for you. you. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, we, we, got, we, we want them. Uh, two sets of parents. So yeah. there's at least six. <laughs> we definitely want ours personalized and, and autographed. Yes. That won't, won't be a problem, guys. <laughs> that won't be a problem. All right. Simon Venice, uh, com, Orlando City beat writer, freelance writer, and co-author of Defying Expectations. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. And this is a, an actual sincere uh, offer if you need somebody to help proofread for typos and whatnot uh, for that final <laughs> copy. Just let me know. <laughs> That's good of you to say, Mike. Thanks. All right, well, we're just about ready to put uh, another bow on episode number 85 of the Mainland Podcast. I want to thank again our special guest, Simon Vaness. 
uh, from MLSsoccer.com, The Guardian, uh, travel books, all kinds of other things. Simon's a great guy. It's, it's, he's one of the great things about covering uh, Orlando City is getting to meet people like Simon. I really uh, enjoy spending time with him at the games and, and talking to him. And we frequently send messages back and forth during the road games as well. So um, uh, especially the uh, uh, the the other day we were we were both watching the Atlanta. United against NYCFC game and Atlanta had scored a goal off of what appeared to be just an egregious foul throw where the guy stepped his foot completely onto the field before throwing the ball in. Um, and we were both just sort of, uh, you know, aghast at that being able to stand because the, the AR was standing right there and it's like, what is he looking at? But, uh, but Simon's a good guy and uh, we certainly wish him the best of luck with the book. And I'm not kidding. I'll, I'll proofread, I'll proofread it for him. Actually, uh, gratis just to get to, to read it uh, early. So uh, hopefully he'll take me up on that. Cause... And, I, and I, I wasn't kidding either. I'm, uh, as soon as we're done here, I'm going to go pre-order the thing on Amazon because so, I'm not going to be able to go into a bookstore in Orlando. So. That's true. Uh, nice hardback too. So, you know, I, I know uh, one of our younger writers on our staff was lamenting the cost of it, but I, you know, and I went and looked and it's like, okay, well, that's what a hardback book costs. I mean, that's just what it is. Um I'm a big Stephen King fan, and I buy his books in hardback, so I'm used to I'm used to spending that kind of cash on. Well, the problem, Michael, is that you and I used to only be able to buy books. <laughs> yeah, well, real books. Yeah, yeah. You know, so yeah. Yeah. we didn't we didn't yeah. kindle it up like the kids these days, and and have no. The, <laughs> there was no Google Books or yeah. Kindle. Yeah. What was the the, the there's one uh, Nook. Barnes and Noble. Nook. Yeah, the Nook, the the Kindle, Nook. and all that stuff. We didn't have all that. Um, I actually tried. I did the Kindle a little bit on uh, on um, on my phone and on my tablet just to see what it was like to read electronic books, and it's it's okay, you know. Here's here's what I like about it is if I'm traveling, I can take as many books as I want. Yeah, that's a good thing. It's it it does have a lot of a lot of advantages to it for sure. Um, it my main well, thing. My main thing is that, and I'm doing more and more nowadays, I'm doing a lot more audiobooks and I'm doing a lot more uh, using the library because I don't like to get rid of a book that I like. So I have, <laughs> I have a space issue because I have a lot of books. And right. uh, I mean, just my Stephen King books alone are, is a, a heck of a, a, of a space commitment because he's written so damn many books. Um, but yeah, it's so it's, it's funny, you know, times change and everything. I, I used to display all my CDs. I don't have room for that anymore. I don't, <laughs> I don't have room for, so I'm doing more of the electronic stuff. I'm not trying, I'm trying not to be a Luddite. I'm trying not to be an old guy uh, that I am, but um you know, I definitely still prefer to pick up a book than to look at my phone to read it. But um, okay, so you're right. There is nothing like uh, the smell and the feel of a book. Yeah. However, I'm going to call you out on the CD thing. Uh, for for the listeners who don't know, I sell cars. Cars nowadays are being made without CD players. I know. It's uh, it's you have to go buy a special uh, stereo to get put in there. Uh, but you know. I still like CDs and it's funny to watch, you know, the, the vinyl comeback because we couldn't wait to get CDs because the vinyls had the skips and the pops and the, uh, it was like, man, finally something that doesn't skip. <laughs> you know? yeah. Cause yeah, I, uh, I grew uh, up in a small town, Dave. So when I, I used to buy, I used to buy my records at a department store and they might only have one copy of that record. 
and I would buy it and take it home, and I would sit there with my fingers crossed praying that it didn't skip because if it skipped, I had to take it back. And if I had to take it back, it meant I had to wait for the replacement copy to come in uh, by mail order because they didn't have another copy of the album. Well, and then then we we fast forward a little bit, and and you and I were taping on cassette tapes our songs off the radio. The original Pirates. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was uh-huh. you you had to sit there with two fingers ready to hit record and play, <laughs> while the DJ was talking over the start of the song, and you're like, "Shut up, man! I want to get the song." Oh, I know. And I it was I, I hated that. There was a skill. There was a skill. Yeah. There was a skill to it. You you learned to really appreciate the um, the DJs who wouldn't talk over the songs, because uh, uh, you could record it cleanly that way. But I I did you one better. I, I remember when I I had an old Sears stereo when we first got MTV. And I figured out that if I stuck my, um, like a coaxial cable from yeah. the wall into the, into like, and just like laid it on top of the antenna of the stereo and I, and I put it on a certain, uh, frequency, I could pick up MTV. I could get, the, I could get the MTV signal. So I would record songs from MTV on, get this and onto eight tracks you're like the OG, uh, <laughs> the OG Napster. I, know, I had I had eight tracks stuffed with songs from videos, and you know some of the videos would come out where they'd have sound effects or people talking in the middle of the song. Oh and, yeah. And so I I had old versions of those songs with with people talking in in the middle of them. It was it was great. And uh, it, <laughs> and then of course I then I got a new stereo. Uh, with the cassette deck instead of the eight track, I had, I don't know how long I had that one with the eight track. I got it when I was, I don't know, want to say second or third grade, and I had it till I was in seventh or eighth grade, maybe. It was, quick, uh, yeah, it was crazy, but um, yeah. Quick, that, quick, quick, quick aside for our listeners: MTV used to play music, music. yeah, music videos, yeah. and strictly. I, in fact, <laughs> it's funny you say that actually because. Somebody, oh, it's Jasmine Spencer. Uh, apparently, watches some show on MTV, and she she did some hashtag about this MTV thing, and I was like, oh my god, goodness, MTV still exists, <laughs> you know? Because right. for me, it stopped existing in like '92 or something like that. Yeah, well, yeah, well, yeah, I switched to VH1 for a while because. MTV stopped playing videos, and then VH1 would still play videos. Yes, yes. And then VH1 went away, and then at that point, I, I gave up. Yeah, that was the natural progression as you moved over to, to VH1. And then, cause, and then um, a co- after a couple of years, they had VH1 Classic. Oh, yes, yes. So then you went to that. And yeah. actually, now I'm on to YouTube, because you can actually see videos on YouTube. Yeah, you can see the original music videos for almost any artist on there. Pretty much anything on there. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's great. I think we've gotten off track. Yeah, we got a little bit off track, but that's okay. (laughs) That's okay. okay. Um, It's fine. It's fine because all we have really left to talk about is that the, uh, again, Orlando City B will be at FC Cincinnati this weekend. And uh, so Anthony Pulis' boys will be out there trying to to get a a hard-fought, road victory in a very difficult place to play because Cincinnati really, really packs in the fans, and it's good to see that. Um, anyway, that game's at 7 o'clock on Saturday night. Uh, at 7.30 Saturday night, Orlando City will be hosting Sporting Kansas City, and uh, on Sunday at 5 o'clock, uh, the North Carolina Courage come to town and will play in Orlando City Stadium against the Orlando Pride. So a lot, a lot going on this weekend. It'll be a very busy weekend. Uh, we at the mainland will be, uh, of course, bringing you all of that 
all of that information will be will be brought to you. All of the important highlights and all of that stuff uh, will be at themainland.com. Uh, but before we get out of here, of course, we're going to talk a little bit about Sporting Kansas City. Um, original, well, not original, but uh, USL Lion Dom Dwyer will not be in the lineup for Sporting Kansas City uh, as he has uh, accumulated five yellow cards and will be suspended. And so uh, Dom Dwyer, who is still very beloved among Orlando City fans, uh, his first trip here in an MLS game, he gets sent off. Uh, the second time Sporting Kansas City comes in, he's suspended for the game. I think he just doesn't want to score goals against Orlando City. You know what? I, I, we're going to go with that because he is so beloved, and uh, and we're going to assume that he has a special place in his heart for Orlando City. So let's let's chalk it up to that that he purposely made sure that he had enough yellows that uh, mm-hmm. he would not be able to play mm-hmm. uh, in the Purple Palace <laughs> and, and and potentially you know, score against his former team. So I, I, I'm good with your assessment on that one. Uh, you know, of course we would love to see him and, and it's not that he won't be there. Just isn't going to be on the field. So yeah. it's, it's all good. He gets to enjoy the atmosphere. That's what he gets to do. Yeah. I'm not sure if he's making the trip or not, but I do know that Orlando is his spiritual home. I've been told that uh, in, in press reports from Adrian Heath, <laughs> Adrian Heath said that this is his spiritual home. So who am I to, who am I to dispute that? Uh, because you know that I would never impugn uh, the logic of Adrian Heath. Of course not. Of course not. I mean, Adrian's the one that's talked to talk talked to Dom. I'm not the one that's talked to Dom. Uh, Adrian has been slapped on the wrist for talking about Dom <laughs> publicly uh, <laughs> when he's a player on another team. So um, anyway, we don't need to rehash that whole, whole no. thing. Uh, but I will want to talk about. Uh, sporting Kansas City because this is a team that doesn't give up a lot of goals. Now they're coming off. Uh, some tough road games where they haven't performed well. I mean, it's not just Orlando city sporting went to Minnesota and got shut out. So uh, that's not like going to Houston where Houston hadn't lost and, and was very, very good and high scoring team at home. Minnesota hasn't been a high scoring team at all. And they haven't even been a very good team very often. And, uh, (laughs) and they were able to put two behind uh, sporting Kansas city's very, very stiff defense. Um, what do you expect in terms of your key matchup and, uh, and you know, what is your predicted scoreline for this weekend? Okay. So my key matchup is going to be our midfield. Um, we, we, we saw what happened uh, and, and we talked about the fact that there's going to be uh, five games in 18 days and six games in 23 days. And uh, we're coming off the, the three games in eight days. So um you know, yes, we've actually finally been able to get some rest and we're back at home, which is good. However, uh, the hope is, is that uh, Jason Christ is smarter than you and I and everybody else listening to this in regards to uh, how to manage a team, which we, we certainly hope he is because he's getting paid a lot more money than we are to do it. Sure. Um, and so I, I think what we will see is or what I, I'm hoping that we see is the. The defense will come back to form. However, um, they don't need to be pressing as high up the field as they have before. That means that the midfield is going to have to take on more of the burden of creating the chances. Um, so Sporting Kansas City is a very good defensive team. Uh, they are hard to break down. Um, they're one of the better defensive teams in MLS. So my key match is uh, the midfield 
creating the chances for the strikers and, and, and how they do that. So obviously, uh, Will Johnson, and then whoever else is in there, um, whether it's, uh, you know, Carrasco Barnes, whoever, you know, um, Gil, that is going to be the key to it. I think if they can get, if the midfield is able to break it down and get it into, uh, Rivas and, and Kyle, um, I think, especially given the, the performance Kyle had before, I think he'll end up putting it in the back of the net. So um, that's my key matchup. My my prediction is going to be a 1-0 win. Um, I'm saying that because we are at home. Uh, it is in the Fortress. We've spoken earlier about how hard it is to win away. Well, guess what? Sporting Kansas City is away at mm-hmm. a place where the team that is home has never lost. So Not that, th- that this time is, is us. And so um, I'm going to apply the same logic uh, to that, say that we do get the win. Um, I'm going to say that uh, Kyle bounces back. He's the one that gets the goal. Um, I think it's fairly, I think it's going to be in the first half. And then I think, uh, uh, despite other chances, we won't get another goal, but we'll defend the rest of the game and we come away with the wind at home. All right. That's uh that's all solid, uh, a- analysis. I think, uh, I'm going to go a little bit different from you. I think that this is a big game for Donnie Toya. Uh, I think the outside defenders in particular need to do well in this game. Uh, without Dom, I think the teams are going to, uh, or I think Sporting Kansas City is going to attack, um, you know, with some width. I think I like having Spectre back in the middle. So I think the teams are going to kind of come in from out wide. Toya's had a couple of, of rough games in a row, uh, very rough against Houston. Not his best performance against Toronto either. I think those those last two games he was a little bit off his game. So it'll be important to see him get back in there. And of course, uh, they got guys that can come in from the wide areas like Vailhaber and Zusi and, and, and guys like that. And I'm not actually I haven't exchanged my questions yet with the, the Blue Testament. So I'm not sure what the health situation is and all that with Sporting Kansas City. But I do know that they've got some some capable midfielders, some capable uh, wing players that can come up and, and get balls into dangerous areas. So I think the wide defenders for me are going to be very important in this game. I'm going to I'm usually a pretty pessimistic guy. I, I'm going to be optimistic you know, in terms of predictions, I'm usually like a, oh, I think we'll draw. You know, or, I, don't, I don't know if we can. <laughs> but I, I'm gonna, I'm going to predict a 2-1 victory in this nice. game for Orlando City. Um, I think Kyle's been scoreless for three games. I think it's very difficult to keep him scoreless for four. So even though that, you know, Sporting Kansas City has a very good defense, I think Kyle finds a way to get his get back on the score sheet. And the other one is tough. Maybe Carlos Rivas gets in again. Maybe Kaká gets back in again. No, you know, I'm going to I'm going to go out on a real limb. Let's make a bold okay, prediction. Let's, let's make, go. Let's make a bold prediction. Say Antonio Nocherino. Dang. Yeah, that's that's put that Set in your, piece. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. It's going to be Noche. Uh, no, I just think he's going to probably come forward at some point. Maybe the ball's going to rattle around. He's going to just be there to clean up the garbage. Maybe. Wow. Yeah. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> I don't know. It just feels like one of those games when somebody unexpected scores, like a, like a center back or a, you know, a, a fullback or a defensive midfielder. So I'm going to go with the defensive midfielder this time. Um, All right. Let's say him. But it, it'll be interesting to see how Jason Kreis uh, decides to attack and defend the sporting on Saturday, and we'll, we'll find out more when they, they kick it off at uh, 730. So. Looking forward to it. 
Yeah, I am too. Cause you gotta get that taste of that four nil out of your yeah. Uh, out of your mouth, wait, wait, right? wait, wait, wait. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, right. I'm uh, not talking about that one anymore. Put it this way: I'm boycotting oranges for the rest of the year. Um, <laughs> that's that's hard to do in Florida. <laughs> it is. I'm I'm single-handedly bringing the citrus growers uh, industry to to its knees. Yeah, um, you're gonna get you're <laughs> gonna get in trouble over that one. I am. Yeah, I'm, yeah. we're gonna get cards and letters because people here. That listen to us probably like work on those you know work there and, or maybe our their family owns the bu- a business or works for a business so blue, blue moon brewery is gonna get like all up in your business about it too um i'm not big on the on on, on i'm that, not either people yeah. that want to put fruit in their beer uh, you know i like i like fruit beer that's brewed with fruit but I don't right, so like like want an IPA, like a, like an IPA that's like a grapefruit IPA or something like that. Right, is fine. I don't want to put a like gar- like you have to have a lemon with this, or you have to have a lime with this, or you have to have an orange slice with this. It's like yeah, we're we're completely in agreement there. Um, yeah. anytime like, and, and not that I ever order, and this is nothing against Blue Moon, it's a fine. <laughs> not that I ever order it anymore, but if I was, I always tell the bartender, no orange, thank you. Yeah, I I I always have looked sideways at people that do the Corona thing with the. With the, oh god! Things. Oh, and then they turn the bottle upside down. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I, I've always looked at that and went, "If you got to do that, that's not a very good beer." <laughs> well, you know, let's face it. If if uh, it, it 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 irks me that Corona is considered an a uh, imported beer. Yeah, well, what are you gonna do? I, I know people, people, people lap that up. Especially we just had Cinco de Mayo here a few days ago, so people were people were all over that the other day. And I actually this year on Cinco de Mayo did not have a beer, if you can believe that. What? Oh, well, you know what? Here's why. It's Amateur Day. Well, I just wasn't feeling very good, and then I got oh, okay. I got home, and it was like. My wife's like, well, aren't you going to go out and get some beer? And I was like, yeah, I just don't feel like it. I just can't be bothered. I'm just going to be, I'm just going to sit at home and relax. That's what I'm going to do. And that's nice. what I, and that's what I did. So. Wait, did you have tacos? Uh, I believe I had a burrito actually. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I got, I got, no, home no, no, I'm wrong. No, wait, I'm wrong. I'm, I'm wrong. No. I did not have a burrito on, on Cinco de Mayo, but I did have uh, chips and queso on, on Cinco de Mayo. I okay. had, um, I had pizza. Actually, it was my dinner. We're, we're actually being incredibly disrespectful. Cinco de Mayo, as the American phenomenon, is a horrible. It, it would it would be like somebody elsewhere in another country celebrating the Fourth of July by eating hot dogs and you know getting drunk off their butts. Which, wait, now that I think about it, that's what Americans do. Never mind. I'd be down for. I'd be down with that. I would have no problem <laughs> if like if I found out that like the people of Japan were like, you know, eating bratwurst and hot dogs and, and hamburgers and drinking lots of Budweiser because it was Fourth of July, and that became like a thing for them. I'd be cool with it. Yeah, but we're crass people, so you know. But you know, that's what we do. We 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 are a melting pot, so we appropriate everyone's holidays here. That that's true. We you know, do, we, and we, as we, a uh, let me look at St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> I was gonna say as an Irish American. Uh, <laughs> Uh, once wait once again. See, we keep going back to what I call the amateur days. So, St. Patty's Day, Cinco de Mayo, and New uh, uh, New Year's Eve. I don't go out on those days. No, I usually go to like Total Wine and find some really interesting beers and just drink them at home. Is what I usually do on those particular days. It, you know, one of these days we're going to have to do a separate non uh, podcast just about beer. 
Well, we'll probably do a Pride Pubcast. We should do a Pride Pubcast. Yeah, so like maybe a couple times a year, you, you come down or I go up, and then we we hit a like we hit one of these. Uh, we go local, we go to the actual brewery. Yeah, we, we hit a local brewery. We, we and interview now, the yeah, brewery guys. Exactly, our special guest will be the, the brewmaster for those small, small breweries. We just came you, up with a new show just now. Holy crap, folks! <laughs> you just heard it right here. This is fantastic stuff. Okay. The Pride Pubcast is going to be a thing. I'm excited well, about this. We're going to make that happen. We don't have enough to do in our lives. We have to. Yeah, right. No, I mean, we, we both have full-time jobs and, and we do all this other stuff, but you know, no. Cannot guarantee do. quality sound editing for those uh, particular podcasts. Uh, nor can we guarantee quality uh, speaking. No, not by the end of it, certainly. No, certainly not by the end of it, no. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that we, on that note, we should probably just get out and and, and get on with our lives. That is, let, let, well, more importantly, let these other people get on with their right. lives. That's, that's it for a very supersized uh, 85th episode of the Mainland Podcast. Definitely want to thank again Simon Vaness from MLSsoccer.com, and uh, he's the Orlando City beat reporter for MLSsoccer.com. He's also co-author of Defying Expectations. Go to Amazon.com right away like Dave's about to do and uh, pre-order it. And uh, we will be back next week to talk about the game uh, Orlando City against Sporting Kansas City. We'll talk about the Pride North Carolina Courage. We'll talk a little bit about OCB at FC Cincinnati. And then we're going to be back into double game weeks again. We're going to have a lot to talk about coming up because the games, again, are coming uh, thick and fast uh, as we get to the latter part of May and into June. We've got... uh, Next week, San Jose on the road on the 17th. Uh, then it's home against New York City on the, the 21st. And then it's at Minnesota the 27th. It's home against D.C. on the 31st. And then uh, against Chicago at home on the 4th of June. So there's a lot coming down the pike. So uh, you just uh, keep it here and uh, at, an at the mainland.com for all your Orlando City, Orlando Pride, Orlando City B needs. And uh, we want to definitely encourage you to uh, to get you know give us your honest star ratings and your reviews on iTunes because that's how we can expose our our podcast to more people uh, on iTunes is, is to get that participation from you. So if you if you like what you hear or even if you don't like what you hear and you got some some legitimate criticism, please uh, let us know at the uh, on iTunes with the with the uh, the star ratings and the reviews of our mainland podcast we really appreciate that of course we want you to read the mainland.com we want you to follow us on twitter at the mainland and we want you to like us on facebook and uh, that will do it for episode 85 and we'll see you next week on behalf of dave rowe i am michael citro the founder and managing editor of the mainland.com signing off as i always do by saying go city